the Lord. Praise the Lord. God is so good. Um, Brother Leroy said during prayer requests that he could feel the Spirit of God in this room, and I couldn't agree anymore. I couldn't have heard a truer statement in that moment or even now because the presence of God is still so real in this room, and I'm very thankful for that. Um, I'm going to be starting in Exodus 3, 13 through 14. If you have a Bible and you want to turn there, if not, I'll read it in just a moment. <laughs> uh, first, I want to give some things and acknowledgments. So I want to thank my school, ABI, and the faculty and staff there for all that they've taught me. My pastor, family, and church back home in Ohio, Pastor James, for this opportunity to speak. And of course, God, because I would not be standing here without him. Um, Exodus 3, 13 through 14 says this. And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel, and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers hath sent me unto you. And they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? In verse 14, And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. He said, Thus shalt say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. And so that's where I'm going to be drawing my sermon from today. But I'd like to pray before we get started. God, I love you, and I pray that you would have your way in this room. I recognize that. I don't have the ability to stand here and do this without you, so I pray that you would use me as a willing vessel and that I promise I wouldn't glory in what you do in this room today. I pray that I would be in line with your spirit and that a revelation of who you are would fall upon each of us and that you would have your way in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. You can be seated if you're still standing. <laughs> um, so the context of that passage that I just read, God appears to Moses. And he calls Moses to lead the Israelites out of slavery. And so Moses responds to God and he asks him, okay, well, I'll get them out of slavery. But when they ask who sent me, who sent Moses, what should I say to them? And then verse 14 says, and God said unto Moses, I am that I am. He said, thou shalt say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. In this verse, God is naming and identifying himself as the I am. It is here he's proclaiming himself as a self-existent God. He is saying, I am that I am, I will do what I will do, I will be what I'll be, I'll create what I create. He's, he, God is illuminating his all-powerful nature in complete control. And throughout the Bible, we see how a name is not only identification, but there's so many different scenarios where it also represents identity and status. So the name Adam originated for, from the Hebrew word ground, which kind of identifies that the first man was created from earth's dust. And God changed Abram's name to Abraham, Jacob to Israel. He changed Simon's name to Peter. And throughout each of these name changes, God has confirmed promises and revealed new identities. But God does not just do this with man. He also reveals himself through his word. And the reason scripture reveals the identity and status of God is because God placed his reputation on the word. God has encompassed every bit of his being within these 66 books. And so... I know that a Bible is known to the world as like a collection of religious texts or scriptures that are held to be sacred in so many different religions, and that's true, but our Bible is the only living Bible. Our Bible is the only true Bible, just as our God is the only living God. This is the only God-inspired word. The Bible is more than a collection of texts to us. It's how we know God. It's how we commune with God. Beyond that, it's where we find, we find the one God of the Old Testament, and we find the one God of the New Testament, and we see the, the fulfillment of the mighty God in Christ throughout the Gospels. And my plan is to break down all of that, but I want to begin with giving credibility to the Word. Um, the first three verses of John says this, 
In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. This is John highlighting that the word of God was not a separate person or separate word or a separate deity any more than the words that I'm speaking now are separate from me. God's word was not created over time as it was written by man. It was with God in the beginning, and it was God in the beginning. God's word is not some book. It is his true, his honest, and his faithful word. 2 Timothy 16 says this, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for inspiration, and instruction in righteousness. So the first part of that verse, it's given by inspiration of God, means that it was written with man's hands, but with the power and the authority of God. It was written with man's hands, but this is the thought, the plan, and the mind of God. That the words in this book are not merely human in origin, but they come directly from God himself. Being profitable in doctrine, reproof, and instruction means that this word is where we should draw our convictions. When we search doctrine in the word and we learn doctrine, it will change you, and there's nothing more important than being changed by the word. In the words where we learn to live like Jesus, it's where we draw what we should and we should not do. It's where we learn to live holy, and we learn to live holy by being like Jesus, so it's also where we learn of him. The word is what keeps us unspotted from the rest of the world. And lastly, mentioned in that scripture, the world was given as an instruction manual to live righteously. Isaiah 40 and 8 says, The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of God shall stand forever. All right. And I, I might sound like a broken record, but I'm going to say it again. The word isn't just like God. The word is God. It's an inexhaustible resource. There's no end. There might only be 66 books within this, but there's an endless amount of things that you can learn within the pages. Similar to how when you, you listen to the same song multiple times, or you watch the same movie, or read the same book, and every time you rewatch or re-listen to that thing, there's something you missed the first time. There's a never an end to what you could get from the Bible. The Bible is where we see repetition of the attributes of God and who God shows himself to be. The Bible is where we see time and time again of God's love protection, his care, God's goodness, his holiness, even his wrath, and there's still just so much more. That's not even the tip of what the Bible shows God to be. And so I stated in the beginning of my sermon that a name in the word is not only identification, but it represents identity and status. And repeatedly throughout the Bible, God reveals glimpses of his own identity to us through his names that are called out in scripture. And so there's kind of a lot, but I want to take a look at some of those because I think that it's important. Psalms 91 and 1 says, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. God is El Shaddai, the Lord God Almighty. Psalms 83 and 18 says, That men may know that thou, whose name alone is Jehovah, art the Most High God. God is El Elyon, the Most High God, the ruler of heaven and earth. John 10 and 11 says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. God is identifying himself as Jehovah Ra, the Lord, my shepherd, friend, or companion. Psalms 147.3 says, He healeth the broken in heart and bindeth up their wounds. God is being identified as Jehovah Rapha, the Lord that heals. 
2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. God is Jehovah Sid Canoe, the Lord our righteousness. 1 Corinthians 6.11, And such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. God is Jehovah M. Kadash, the Lord who sanctifies you. Philippians 4.19, But my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. God is Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. Philippians 4.7, And the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. God is Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is peace. Psalms 24.10, Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts, he is the King of glory. God is Jehovah Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts. Psalms 25 through 6, we will rejoice and now salvate thy salvation. In the name of our God, we will set up our banners. The Lord fulfill all thy petitions. Now know I that the Lord saveth his anointed. He will hear them from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. God is Jehovah Nisi. He's the Lord, my banner. Matthew 23 and 10. I know there's a lot, but I'm getting somewhere. Matthew 23 and 10. It says, Neither be ye called masters, for one is your master, even Christ. God is Adonai, our Lord and master. Isaiah 40 and 28. Hast thou not known? Hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, and neither is weary? There's no searching of his understanding. God is El Elon, the everlasting God. Exodus 34, 14. For thou shalt worship no other God. For the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. God is Elkanah. He is a jealous and devoted God. Genesis 1 and 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Being translated in the beginning, Elohim, the only God, created the heavens and the earth. John 4, 24 says, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So God is a spirit, and he has no flesh or bones. And, and though he's a spirit, I like to paint the picture like this. His hand is big enough to hold the oceans, but it's even bigger than that. He's as large as the space that fills between every country, but small enough to fit between every single atom. There's no space that God does not fill. God is infinite, but our imaginations are limited. He is so powerful that our human minds are unable to comprehend the entirety of him. So the Bible uses natural terms to break down the supernatural so that we can, un we can understand what God is trying to say. We are limited to analogies and metaphors to try to wrap our minds around the fullness of God. And so I also want to take a look at some of those. Jesus calls himself the bread of life in John 6.35, telling us that we won't be satisfied without knowing him and we spiritually cannot survive without him. Psalm 78.35 calls God our rock. This is a way of saying he is our solid, never-changing ground, our protection, refuge, and safety. Isaiah 64 and 8 says that we are the clay and God is the potter. Clay is at its highest purpose when it's able to be molded in the hands of the potter, meaning our lives only have purpose when God can have his way with us. God allows man to have free will, but ultimately he still demonstrates that he's a God, sovereign God in control of his own universe. Psalms 18 and 2 says he is a mighty fortress, meaning he is a mighty guard to protect and keep his people safe. David said in Psalms 23, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. 
I thought this was so interesting because the sheep are property of the shepherd. They're not homeless. The sheep are purchased with the price. The sheep are cared for by the shepherd, meaning the Lord provides his highest amount of care and nothing that we could need is outside of his abilities. John 15 5 says, I am the vine, ye are the branches. This is his way of saying that we were not created to be self-sufficient, that God is the source of life where we draw every nutrient that we need to survive. And throughout the Bible, this is just a few, but there are, there are numerous ways that God has tried to bring understanding of his power and his might to our minds so we can, to the best of our ability, understand the fullness of his glory, the fullness of all that he is. Isaiah 43:15. I am the Lord, your Holy One, the creator of Israel, your King. He is an omnipotent God. He is in total control of everything. He has complete control of himself and his own creation. 1 Kings 8:27. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, the heaven and heaven of heavens could not contain me, how much less this house I have builded. He is an omnipresent God that cannot be measured. He exists everywhere at all times. He is an unbound and universal God. Psalms 147.5, great is our Lord and of great power. His understanding is infinite. He is a God of omniscience. He has complete maximal knowledge and there's nothing that my God doesn't know. He is the mighty God and he is the only God. Matthew 1.21 says this, and she shall bring forth the son and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. This is the name that ties everything together, the name of he Jesus. In Hebrew, pronounced Yeshua, meaning a God who saves his people from their sins. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld the glory as the glory of the only begotten Father, full of grace and truth. And so we've established that God and the word are almost synonymous. And that God is a spirit, and Jesus is the manifestation of that spirit. And so Jesus would have in him... God would put in him divinity. And Mary, the mother of Jesus, being a woman, a human, would put in him humanity. And so scientifically, every cell in the human body is so much so mother and father, it's impossible to distinguish which parts come from which parent. Making Jesus to be both fully God and fully man. Creating Jesus to be the image of the invisible God. Creating Jesus to be God and God to be Jesus. Creating them to be one. And so God comes to earth not just as, as a man, but he comes to earth as a baby so that his creation wouldn't be intimidated by him. So he's born in a manger quietly to express that he wasn't here to take control, but that he came here to live life just the way that we do. Um, I'm talking about the same baby that was born in a manger that, that grew old to become a miracle worker, the one that healed the deaf, the lame, and the lepers. The one that fed the 5,000. The one that said, peace, be still, as the storm stopped. The one that said, Lazarus, come forth as a literal dead man, raised up from the grave. That's the God that I'm talking about. The great I am was born lowly in a manger and came to earth just like us. Right. That infinite God that I have, to the best of my ability tried to explain, humbled himself, and wrapped himself in flesh, and came to earth to die for you and me. He came to earth to die for you, and for you, and you, and you, and your beautiful baby, and you, and you, and you, and all of us, both of you guys. <laughs> he who knew no sin, the spotless lamb, and the creator of everything gave it up for us. 
And that's how I know that he's El Shaddai, the Lord God Almighty, and Jehovah Nisi, he is the Lord, my banner. That's how I know that he's Jehovah Ra, the Lord, my shepherd, friend, or companion, because greater love hath no man than this, than a man to lay down his life for his friends. That's how I know he's Jehovah Rapha, the Lord that heals, because he was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities, and the chastisement of my peace was upon him. And my favorite part of that scripture, because it comes present tense, and with his stripes, we are healed. Hallelujah, Jesus. And all of that, that's powerful. The way that Jesus gave his life for us, that's beyond amazing. That's one of the most powerful things I can think of. But the most amazing part is that the story doesn't even end there. Because the body of Jesus died on the cross, but the spirit did not. John 19.30, when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. And within the span of three days, the spirit of God led captivity captive descended into the lower parts of the earth to take souls into paradise. That triumphant king confronted Lucifer and principalities, taking the keys of death, hell, and the grave, cleansed heaven by his blood, and all by the third day went back into the body of Jesus and raised out of the grave with all power in that name, with all power standing in the name of Jesus. That's why I get so excited when I say, this is the mighty God in Christ. This is the infinite that dwelt finite. He's God that fills the universe, but he was wrapped in flesh at the same time. He is the creator of everything that was walking in flesh and spending everything. While he was living as a man, he was still the creator of the world. He is the only living God. He is the only one capable of such supernatural power and such supreme judgment. There is nobody like the God that I'm talking about. He is omnipresent, he is omnipotent, and he is omniscient. This is the power of the great I am, the lamb that was slain from the foundations of the earth, the Christ intended to die for humanity from the very beginning. If you believe what I'm saying, would you respond in this room? If you believe that he's the creator of everything, would you give him just a little bit of worship? Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. This is the sovereign God that will one day have final say over everything. He is the one that we will commune with forever and eternity. And one of the coolest parts to me is that the only way that we can know him is because he chooses to let us. He chooses to be known. Because the body of Jesus was the veil. The body of Jesus was the veil for the presence of God. And as his body was torn on the cross and he took his last breath, and behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. The earth did quake and the rocks rent and the graves were opened and many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared under many, appeared unto many. We've already covered the second part of that, but I want to hit the part where the veil separating God was ripped in two because there was no man that could tear it from the top to the bottom, but God did. God tore it when he died and, and it was finished and death was conquered and the presence of God has become available. Anybody can now enter into the presence of God because of the blood that Jesus shed on the cross on Calvary. He's made a way for us to have communion with him. We have the ability to enter into the presence of God and let him know, God, I'm not leaving until I know you deeper. We can walk into the presence of God and say, I'm not, I'm not leaving this room until I have a new revelation of who you are. I'm not leaving until this scripture starts to unveil its meaning. God, I'm not leaving until I understand you better. God, I just, I really want to know you. When was the last time? 
that we became so desperate for the presence of God that we wouldn't leave until we could get another glimpse of his glory. When was the last time that you became so caught up in who he is and the attributes and the nature of his character that you didn't want to leave until you got to know him a little better? <coughs> and we can, we can know him and get close to him because of that blood that was shed on Calvary and the spirit that was poured out on the day of Pentecost. He chooses to allow us the opportunity to know him, but God will not force you into revelation. God will not force you to seek him. In my opening text, the one I read in the very beginning, Moses asked God what to say to the Israelites when they ask who sent me. Because Moses assumed that he was going to rescue them and they were going to want to know. And God gave the, the profound answer of I am that I am. God was completely ready to reveal his entirety to them, but nowhere in the scripture did the Israelites ever ask who sent him. Nowhere did the Israelites ask who saved them. They never really wanted to know. They could have received an answer that represents everything that I've spoken of within the past 30 minutes, but they never actually asked. They never sought the question. James 1.5 says, If any of you lack wisdom... Let him ask God that he giveth to all man liberally. And so I just want to leave you with a question and I just want to know if you want to know God deeper and if you want a revelation of him. Do you want to know who God is? Or are you content with showing up here week after week and having a superficial relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? Because I already told you he's omnipresent. The King of Glory is in this room right now. But whether or not we reach out and touch him is up to us. And these altars are open. And if music wants to come, I, I went through it kind of quickly because I, I get so excited. <laughs> but I have I've told you about God and I have shared his identity and his attributes. And I have tried to share everything I know in one sermon. But to have revelation of the God that I'm talking of, you have to seek him. And I'm not saying you don't know who he is, but I'm saying there's always more. You can always go deeper. You can always go more. To reach the God that you showed up here today to encounter, you need to seek him. And if you can just begin to reach out to him and seek the face of God, as the music does their thing, I'm going to call out some titles. And if any of these attributes resonate with you, begin to learn of the Savior and all that he has for you. Seek for the God that you've been hearing about and remember his identity and attributes. So I'm just going to start reading these names, and if you just want to begin to pray, do whatever you feel led to do in the room. But God is El Shaddai, the Lord God Almighty, and he is El Elyon, the Most High God, and he is Adonai, Lord Master, and he is Yahweh, Lord Jehovah, and he's Jehovah Nisi, the Lord, my banner, and he's Jehovah Ra, the Lord, my shepherd, and he's Jehovah Rapha, the Lord that heals, and he's Jehovah Shema, the Lord is there. And he's Jehovah Sid Canoe, the Lord our righteousness. Jehovah M. Kadash, the Lord who sanctifies you. El Olam, the everlasting God. He's Elohim, the only God. He is Elkanah, he is a jealous God. He is Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. He is Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is peace. He is Jehovah Sabiach, the Lord of hosts. He is Yeshua, a God who saves his people from their sins. But it doesn't end there because in Romans he's Abba Father. And throughout the book of Daniel, he's ancient of days. In Genesis, 6, in Genesis 16, he's Elroy, the God that sees me. He is Adonai, he's a friend of sinners. 
a wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father and the prince of peace. He's the ruler of Israel and he's Emmanuel. He is the lion of Judah and the good shepherd. He's the physician, the lion and the lamb, the Lord our God, faithful and true. For God is love. He's righteous. He is merciful and gracious. He's compassionate and slow to anger. He's abundant in love and faithfulness and he's abundant in power. He is my God and my rock. He's holy. He is rich in mercy. He is our Sabbath and our rest. He is Jesus, our teacher and rabbi. He is the prophet, the priest, and the king. He was the word made flesh, the lion and the lamb. He's all present, all powerful, and all knowing. He's never changing. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And his name was called the word of God. He is the everlasting father. He is the king for eternity. He is alpha and omega, the beginning and the end. He is the first and the last, the one that reigns forevermore. The almighty God, the one which was and is and is to come. He is alive forevermore. He is my salvation. He's your salvation. He is Jesus and he is God. And wrapped all in one, he is the I am that I am. That's all I have for you. Begin to reach out and touch the throne of God.
We've been going through a series lately on the attributes of God and talking about how you have to love God for who he is, not just because of what he does. And I think Sister Julia's message just fits into that series so nicely because an attribute of God is being Jesus. And she went through the many different names of God, which I don't remember them all off my head. (laughs) But let's all stand and we're going to sing this song again as a praise to God. Because we love God because of who he is. And as we continue gaining that deeper understanding of who he is, the more I learn about God, the more my love just grows for him. But as we continue growing in that understanding of who God is, our love continues to grow for him. So let's sing this song one more time.